0: So our teams will, will be good, I think they'll probably win against Finland, but the, the coach uh, who's a co- uh, Columbus Blue Jackets coach, I think currently, John Tortorella said, uh, if any of my players are sitting down during the National Anthem, they'll remain sitting down for the entire game. So I thought, <laughs> thought you'd be interested in that for, for what it's worth. But um, uh, before we, before we uh, open in prayer, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what, what men's ministry is about, most of you, most of you know this, but, but if you don't, our, our overall strategy is to provide opportunities for all, all the men in the church to gather together to build relationships, and in the context of these relationships, that you can grow in your faith. That can start here in, in base camp, it can start in small groups, and it can start at the retreat, or it can continue at, at all of those places. But we know that men who are in fellowship and are growing in their faith are also uh, quickly reminded and called by God to serve. And so that's another aspect of men's ministry. We want you to go and and serve, whether that's here internal to the church, if you're serving by helping cook at breakfast on a Saturday, or if you're reaching out to our homeless community at the 25th Project, if you're going to West Virginia to help build homes, whatever it might be, the men of this church, we gather, we grow, and we go. We do all three. And the, the whole point of this whole effort is to know Christ and make him known. This is not anything different from from the mission of the church. So we are glad that you're here to to do that with us. So let me open us in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we're grateful for this day. We're grateful for just this time and for I'm grateful for these men the way that they have inspired me to get up early to study your word the way that they've pushed me and encouraged me, and for the relationships and the friendships that are here. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would do a mighty work in this group, not just this morning, but throughout the the fall and spring, that, that men would not be isolated, that they would not think that they have to go through all these things by themselves, and that in this fellowship that they would discover you, Lord, now as we open up your word, help us to see the word you have for us today. Help us to keep our day-to-day crazy in the context of you. And bless our time together in your son's name. Amen. All right. The lighting is the lighting. Um, let me just say that God is good and all the time. And uh, it is very good to be back. The, the lighting is the lighting and that's probably good for you again you're you're stuck with me, but there's a lot of things that are being being reconfigured but there are a lot of things change and a lot of things happen as we as we grow and get older. we're growing as a church. Uh, I'm uh, not growing vertically anymore so I, I run a lot so that I don't grow in any other dimension. but a couple of things that that God taught me this summer I would like to share with you, not all of them certainly, but probably the three most interesting things that I learned this summer were about chronic pain, uh, about mental illness, and about uh, autoantonyms. So we'll start with uh, autoantonyms, because that's probably the most interesting one. Have you, have you ever heard of these things? These are contronyms? Nobody's heard of a contronym? This is a word that is also its opposite. Okay, so has anybody heard of this? So if I say off, you know, it could be deactivated, like to turn it off, but also activated, like the alarm went off. So off means both things. See how I did that? Um, Left is either who's remaining or who departed. Now that the men have left, all the women are left. Thank you, Nace. I appreciate the fact that that you alone are with me. So this this is good. It gets much better than this, people. Sorry. Too early for this? Sorry. All right. Okay, so last one, out can be visible or invisible. It's a good thing the full moon was out because the lights went out. Anybody? All right. I got like 25 of these and and we're done. So there we go. That was one of the interesting things that I learned this summer. So that's really fascinating about contronyms. So what, but what about this um, chronic pain mental health stuff? You know, my grandmother had a saying that uh, you, it's uh, getting old is not for wimps." OK? Some of you may have, have heard that before, but, but in all seriousness, earlier this summer, God allowed me to uh, begin experiencing pain on a continual basis. Uh, this was a relatively new thing for me, and I'm not talking about the sort of thing where I make a sound either when I get in a chair or get out of a chair. That I'm not talking about that, but this is a thing that is always on. It's 24 7. Um, And I don't know what I've thought about other people that have said that they experience chronic pain, but um, what I know now is that I've experienced a lot of moments of real frustration over the course of the summer. And I've even found myself thinking on occasion, there are things that I would now consider doing to deal with this, things that I would not have otherwise considered. During the summer also, we had uh, occasion, or I had occasion for two, the church had occasion for one. Uh, We had uh, situations where men have taken their own lives. Um, One is uh, Rick Powell, who was in the men's group here at BCC. Um, He's like you, he's like me. Another is a guy named Ben Raskoshek, who I went to pilot training with. You know, very high functioning individual, and at some point, got trapped by alcoholism and eventually at age 48 uh, that disease claimed his life uh, and both uh, died this summer both Rick and Ben and others had things going on in their mind i don't know if it was a a pain thing or or what but certainly it was an unhealthy thing and i don't know what might have helped but i am i am convinced that mental illness and that's what i'm calling it i'm not a doctor or anything but that when you get to that point where you start thinking about Harming yourself, to me that's a a kind of mental illness. When when you get to that point, I'm just telling you that is something that can affect regular guys. That that can affect you. That could affect me. And I think the number one cure or the number one threat in an environment like that is isolation. I think if you are on your own and you don't think anybody else knows you or cares or there's no one you can call, you could be in a, in a bad spot. Maybe you too have some chronic issues of, of whatever kind. Maybe you've also had some days where you're just not really sure why you have to carry all this stuff around by yourself. And I think the question before us as Christians is, does God care about this? Does he care about me? Does he know about my pain? Does he know about my thoughts? Does he know about my loneliness? Does he know about my sin? Is he in, in control and does he see me? And how do we deal with this? Is there any hope in the scriptures? So I would say there is an emphatic answer to that question. We're going to start Paul's letter to the Ephesians and look real quick for some answers. So let's open the word. I hope you think we're starting a study on Ephesians. That's just the first book I picked out when I started preparing for this. So I think you're, you're with me, right, so far. So this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is God's word. One quick word about the translation here. This is from the New American Standard Bible translation. So if you see words that are italicized, those are words that are not in the actual original text but are implied by the translators, okay? So you might, uh, you probably can't tell, but like the word places, for example, is is not technically there, so. Okay, a little bit about Ephesus really quickly. This was the third largest city in Asia Minor during the Roman Empire. The Temple of Artemis, mentioned in Acts chapter 19, was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. Uh, by the way, in AD 401, uh, John Chrysostom, who is, and the Anglican tradition remembered today was the uh, bishop of Constantinople at one point actually led a mob and went to e- Ephesus and destroyed the temple of Artemis um, when uh, Christianity became the state religion, And um, for what it's worth. It was a multicultural city. And Paul lived in Ephesus for three years. Uh, and this, this letter to the Ephesians was written to that early church. And it's, it's also written to us. So anybody know where Ephesus is? Anybody been to Ephesus? A couple of you. So you guys know that it's about right there. Okay, is that right? Did I get that right? I hope my geography web surfing was sufficient. But now you can say you learned something today at Basecamp, even if it was only geography. So that's so that's good. The study's relatively short this morning. We're just going to look at some of the key words in each verse, see if we can get some additional meaning. Verse 1 talks about a number of things. We're going to take a, a closer look at them here. Hopefully you've got some fill-in-the-blank sheets. I'm a big fan of these because I think it's easier and when my kids were a lot younger, this is how they learned, so maybe it'll work for you too. First key word I want to talk about is "apostle," or and forgive my Greek pronunciation, I think it's "apostolos." That means a person sent by another, a delegate. Uh, it's a special class. These are people who are personally, who did personally see Jesus and were able to testify to the resurrection of Jesus by personal knowledge. They were called into office by Christ himself. They had power to work miracles. It's interesting that Paul, though, claims this title. <clears throat> but in other, uh, other parts of Scripture, he vigorously defended this particular title. But certainly he had a personal experience with Jesus and was able to, therefore, attest to his resurrection. Second word, will, is telema, by the will of God. Will is simply just to want or purpose. You know, this would be, you know, The will of God is God's plan at work. This is the same word as used in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Saints, hagios, the people of God, means sacred, set apart, a most holy thing. The word hagios derives from the word Hagos, which means an awful thing. I learned that when I was studying. I found that kind of interesting. The word faithful, who are faithful. This is a pistos in Greek. Uh, this has a passive and active meaning. Sorry, this is one of those. This is not a contronym, so don't freak out on me. Okay, this is this is easy. This could mean it could mean passively. This is somebody who can be trusted. Okay, or it could be somebody who is actively trusting, who is actively believing, who is actively relying. Okay, faithful can have that that meaning. So here in verse one, we have Paul living out his his role as a messenger from God, when the receivers of the message are God's special. Set apart people who might be active or passive, depending on what you want to do today. Verse 2. Here we have a very familiar phrase. If you've read any of Paul's letters, this is Paul's kind of standard greeting. He uses this in Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Titus. And, of course, here in Ephesians. So let's fill in some blanks and look at exactly, though, what he's saying, it what, you know, it gets so familiar when we say things all the time. It's kind of like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Stop for a second. Take a look. Uh, charis, grace. There's lots of ways of understanding grace. It could be favor or kindness. It could be friendship. It could be God's forgiveness. The good news of the gospel apart from the law. Uh, free gifts of God such as miracles and prophecy. Grace is God's loving kindness towards us, knowing that God really loves you. Peace. peace. There's also many understandings of peace. It could be peace from war or strife or peace from enemies or inward peace. This word, arine, generally means freedom from strife. So there's no war going on around you. There's two other words, though, in this that kind of go by really fast. I mean, we don't even think about it anymore. And that would be Father and Lord. Pater is, it's a claim. When we say our Father, C.S. Lewis would tell you that that's a little bit of, he uses the phrase, outrageous cheek. You know, because that would imply that you're not only related to him, but that you were raised by him and you know You know what he wants you to do, and possibly that you, in fact, do it. You know, And we may not be in that last part where we actually, we actually do the will of the Father all the time. But our Lord, we'll talk about that word here in a second, has told us to pray like this, right? This is in the Lord's Prayer, to say our Father. So don't, don't let that phrase get by you too fast. Kyrios, the word for Lord, is not a word we use a lot today. Um, now, if you used to sit with your wife, I'm assuming you were sitting with your wife if you did this, and watch Downton Abbey, um, this, is not, this is not a morning for confession or anything, and I'm not claiming that I did or didn't do it. That's not important right now, but you might have heard the servants in the show, I'm told, say a phrase called my lord all the time, and they're saying that to the master of the house. Um, the, the way the servants and the master function with one another in that environment is different. It's not what we would normally see, but simply the words of the Lord of the manor carry a different weight. In fact, one definition of Lord that I found was the possessor and disposer of a thing. So when we say Lord, we literally mean uh, God owns me and he could dispose of me. Hopefully not in a, a way that is terrible, but you are putting yourself at the disposition of the Lord. So Paul's desire in this verse is for us to know God's favor, to be free from strife, and to remind us of our status as his children and his possession. Okay, in verse 3, there's just two phrases I want to focus on here. The first is a combination word of um, pneumatikos and eulogia. Sorry for my Greek again. Uh, pneumatikos means having to do with wind or breath or spirits. It generally means things that are supernatural when they're used in Scripture, not, not physical wind. Uh, eulogia can mean praise or polished language or even a concrete benefit, something that's a real Benefit to you, not just somebody telling you you did a good job, but here's a bonus of money for, for doing the job that you did. Something it can mean something like that. So at a minimum, what we're talking about that phrase is a supernatural benefit. So what are these supernatural benefits? Come back next week and find out. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna more more on that here in a second, but the, the point is that you may not understand the scope of your inheritance, your status, and everything that God's entrusted to you for stewarding. This last one, Epiranios, heavenly places, is translated in the NASB as heavenly places five times, all in the book of Ephesians. And remember, places is in italics. It's not actually the same word there. So the Greek word appears in lots of other places, and that always has to do with heaven. Okay, so... The, the reason I say come back next week is not because I want you to hear Joe, because I, I do. Uh, but uh, this is the start of a really long sentence. And we're not going to open up the rest of the sentence. We don't have time. But it's going to be Paul expounding upon all of these uh, supernatural blessings. But I want to say, suffice, we're talking about things that are not material blessings and not in the earthly places, okay? This is not some sort of guarantee or health or wealth in the Christian life. Um, not that those things are bad by the way but this is not what that's talking about these were talking about spiritual blessings in, in heavenly places so let's put it all together for a second did you know that you also have a role by the will of God Paul's role was apostle you also have a role did you know you can be passively and actively faithful have you thought much about grace that God really loves you? Have you thought about peace, to be free from strife, why those two things are different and why they would be important to you? When was the last time you considered God as your father or that Jesus is your Lord? Would any of that make a difference to you if you have chronic pain or if you have a dark night of the soul? I say Yes. I I don't think there's earthly promises here, but what it points to is this reality beyond nature, something else that's beyond your current pain, beyond your current circumstance, where there's a real benefit, real blessings, real grace, and real peace. This introduction to Ephesians is kind of a reset button. It kind of puts the church at Ephesus, and us on the same sheet of music. It tells us where we are, and it reminds me of the importance of a quiet time every morning. I don't know what it's like to be you, but for me, I get this unspiritual fuzz that kind of grows all over me overnight. Uh, I can taste it in my mouth when I wake up in the morning. Uh, it's the, bleh. And you, I have to press the reset button every day to say who I am in Christ and to remind myself of who, who God is and who, who my Lord is. So as you start your discussions this morning, my prayer for you and the men at your table is that as you look around and see who you're sitting with, that this would be your band of brothers, that these would be men that you begin to realize are also wrestling through issues, that they've got pain, they've got moments where they don't know what they're going to do about it. They're isolated. They need you. You need them. Why? Why? so that you can do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, so that you've got somebody you can ask a hard question of, and maybe they'll be willing to ask a hard question of you, somebody that's willing to come alongside you and, and help you break the bonds of your porn addiction or your football addiction or whatever, how to better manage the money God's given to you to steward, to be the man, the son, the brother, the husband, The dad that God wants you and needs you to be, so that we can glorify him. All right, 629, pick your table leader, name your table, talk about these questions. What's one thing God's shown you or taught you this summer? What's your role, or maybe just one of your roles, by the will of God? And what does it mean for you to be a saint set apart? God is good.